I'm Joe Lloyd, and this is Pet Place, the podcast series by pet parents for pet parents. And today we're looking at the ways in which we should be preparing our horses for the winter season. Pet Place. So I've got three very special guests to help me out and answer lots and lots of questions. And they're going to introduce themselves individually. So we'll say hello to Claire, Katie and Lorraine. We're going to start with you, Claire. (laughs) So my name's Claire Hayward. I am the National Sales Manager here at Perry Equestrian. Where am I from? I'm originally from uh, Stockport in Manchester. And today I'm working out of our head office, which is at Cradley Heath in the West Midlands. Hi, um, my name's Katie Grimwood. I'm a nutritionist at Bailey's Horse Feeds, and we are based in North Essex. Hello, I'm Lorraine Smith. I'm the category manager at Pet Place, which is also known as Farmer Pet Place, based in North Wales. I've been working for the company now for about 10 years, and I've been living it in North Wales for most of my life. Fantastic part of the world. Well, lovely to have you all involved in today's podcast. And we've got lots of questions, so let's get started. Shall we start with stables? Claire, this is to you. How should we prepare our stables for winter? Oh, I think people have various different opinions on what they do. Um, In my experience, people tend to start thinking about winter, I would say during uh, this month, to be fair, in about August time. They'll probably start to wash stables out, maybe do a bit of painting, uh, make them more pretty, probably look at flooring. So have a look at rubber matting. What's the condition of that? Do they need to replace it? Um, And generally look at the fixtures and fittings, I would say, to see if they're all in good repair or do they need to buy new. Yeah, and I suppose things like pipes, you know, making sure they're lagged properly. Those little cosy lagging foam things that you get that go around pipes, they're really handy as well, aren't they? Yeah, they keep everything intact, I guess. Although you wouldn't always have those in a horse's stable because if you get one that's a bit naughty, it's going to pull that off and probably eat it. (laughs) (laughs) I bet they are. Um, Now, talking about keeping your horse very happy when stabled, what ideas personally do you have? So I think when they're in, some horses, they change routine for the winter months. So to me, the crucial point that people bring horses in is that week when the clocks change. So usually around about Halloween um, to bonfire night, that week is when they all come off a summer routine and they go to a winter routine, in my opinion. So I would say if horses aren't in by bonfire night, then they're staying out all winter, I would say. If they're coming in, they're obviously in for longer periods of time. I think not everybody's fortunate to have grazing for them in the day. So sometimes they're kept in a lot longer. So hay nets, when we're we're feeding them hay and haylage, um, probably go for small hold nets to try to prolong the eating time so they've got something to do. There's also quite a lot of things you can put in your stable, so little boredom breaker treat balls that they can knock around and things that hang that they can have a bit of a play with and, you know, lots of different things that you can occupy them with while they're inside. So, Lorraine, I'm guessing you get really busy at Pet Place with all of these amazing things that we've got to keep our horses occupied during those winter months now. Have you seen a, a, a progressive amount of footfall 
over the years and in fact you know lately for all of these products yes indeed i think people are much more switched on now uh, to the nature of horses that they're not like a bicycle that you just take out and ride um, they have personalities and they have needs of their own <clears throat> they're very much social creatures herd creatures and when we take them out of that environment where they're able to move around and occupy themselves then it's our responsibility then to make sure that we're substituting that with um, with ways in which you know to, to prevent them becoming bored which can then lead to vices and and stress levels so even things like putting mirrors in stables they can see a reflection of another horse if they're not stabled next to another horse it gives them that feeling that they're not alone as Claire was saying um, there's various toys whether they're treat balls that they can roll along the floor that dispense treats or various types of licket holders so so there's a lot available on the market now and uh, we've seen a big uptake in those types of um, board and breaking toys. Claire do you have any tips um, for yard preparation? Ooh, I suppose you touched on it a little bit before to do with like pipes and making sure that uh, the automatic sort of like water feeders are working and everything's flowing properly. People need to get stuff ready for those awful times that you hate when you're a horse owner and everything's frozen up. So, and it's just painful to try and fill buckets and things. I suppose making sure that all the flooring is all right, actually generally in the yard, you know, is there anything that needs cementing up before they all come in and then obviously they need to consider the bedding for the horses as well ready for winter I would say so probably on the yard they need to find a bit of space because quite often big yards will have big pallet deliveries of of bedding uh, coming in and, and possibly hay as well and haylage so that takes up a lot more room in the winter than it would do usually in the summer months. And lighting is really, really essential, isn't it? Especially when uh, those dark mornings creep in. Yeah, we all hibernate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hibernate. <laughs> so let's talk about something which um, it, it's a huge subject, winter laminitis. Um, how does this affect our horses and ponies? And secondly, how would we go about treating it? Yeah, it's a little bit, little bit of a technical one. So laminitis is basically the inflammation of the lamini, which is in the hoof. So the lamina are basically are structures which hold the pedal bone, which is the last bone on the horse's leg, um, which hold the pedal bone to the hoof wall and, and sort of suspend it in the right place. Um, when these structures start to break down, um, it can cause the horse to be in a lot of pain. It can make them quite pottery on their feet, make them very reluctant to move forwards. Um, and horses with, with sort of more severe laminitis can actually have a rotation of the pedal bone where the, the structure of the lamina actually breaks down um, quite severely uh, and the pedal bone can sort of become rotated within, within the hoof. So it does make it very, very painful. Um, and uh, yeah, it's not a very nice condition at all. Well, it sounds really, really nasty. But how do we, um, obviously, when you've you've identified it, how do you go about treating it? Um, I think the first step, certainly, um, if you suspect that your horse has got laminitis, will be to get call the vet, get the vet involved straight away. They'll usually be able to do some x-rays, um, find out whether the, the pedal bone has rotated at all, um, and just kind of give you a bit more of an indication of how severe it is. 
Um, I'd also suggest bringing them off the grass as well. So it can be triggered by by quite lush grass if there's quite high levels of sugar in the grass, um, not only in the, the spring and summer, but also in the winter uh, as well. Um, so bring them off the grass, put them on a nice soft bed um, in their stable just to help support uh, support the hoof and, and make them as comfortable as possible. Um, the vet will usually, usually prescribe some sort of pain medication uh, as well. Well, what about diet though? Can it help? Is there metabolic changes as we're going into winter that would affect this uh, condition? Um, yeah, I mean, so horses with with metabolic issues such as equine metabolic syndrome Cushing's disease they do tend to be more at risk of of getting laminitis Um, but I think one of the biggest problems in the winter months which a lot of people perhaps are not aware of is that if you I think a lot of people are aware of the fact in the spring uh, you often do get some laminitis where the grass is growing. Um, But in the winter months when we have very cold, very bright days, your levels of sugars in the grass actually do start to accumulate. If the the grass is able to, to produce sugars but it's not quite warm enough for it to grow, um, these sugar levels can really start to build up. So although it looks very cold, the horse still might be ingesting quite a lot of sugar and uh, and, be, and be at risk of laminitis. Um, from a dietary perspective, looking at the, the bucket feed um, and the hay and the haylage, what I would normally say is take take the horse off of any high starch, high, high sugar mixes or cubes or anything like that. Um, that may potentially exacerbate the, the problem. Looking at you know, as sort of going back to basics, really getting getting the horse on some soaked hay just to take the sugar sugar levels down in the hay. Um, I'm using a, a feed balancer. Uh, it's quite a nice option just to make sure the horse can still get the vitamins, minerals, the protein that they need, um, but without the the sugar levels that would be found in perhaps other other feeds. So sticking with nutritional considerations now, um, what do we need to be aware of when we're moving our horses from a summer to a winter routine, making that transition? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So as Claire was saying earlier, there's a lot of things that will change in the horse's routine. You've got your shorter day lengths as well. So potentially they'll be stabled more. They'll potentially not not have any grass turnout at all. Some horses are often stabled all the time in the winter. Um the main thing really to do is to make the changes really nice and slowly, usually taking around two weeks if you can to, to sort of slowly reduce your horse's turnout time, allow them to get used to going from a, a you know predominantly grass-based diet to predominantly hay or haylage, just to reduce the risk of any digestive upset that this might cause. The horse's digestive system is very, very sensitive to the type of feed that, it, that it's getting. So if we are changing it, um, then we do risk, risk horses getting loose droppings, getting a bit of an upset tummy if we do change it too quickly. So yeah, making changes slowly is definitely the, the, big, um, the big one. That's great. So the concentration feed really, does that need to be adjusted over the winter months? Or once you've made that transition, are, are you fine then for those winter months? Mm, it, it kind of depends on the individual horse, to be honest. Um, a lot of people might be riding less over the winter if they haven't got as long in the evening to ride after work. So if your horse's workload is being reduced, then you might need to drop the feed back a bit or perhaps use a, a sort of lower lower energy feed. Some horses, though, are also prone to losing quite a lot of weight over the winter when the grass isn't, isn't available. So for those types of horses, then you might need to, to use a higher calorie feed over the winter. So if your horse has um, not had much access to grass or to, to graze naturally over the winter months, 
when we talk about hay or haylage, how much do they need? Um, the, ideally, we want to be feeding ad lib, so to appetite, so they've always got some available. Because if we think about when they're out on the grass, they've always got that grass. We're not restricting um, the amount that they have. So ideally, you want to be feeding it uh, as much as as much as their elite horses have evolved to be trickle feeders. They're evolved to be eating pretty much near enough constantly. So we do want to make sure we are giving them plenty. Um, the only exception would be if you've got your, uh, your very good doer ponies or horses that have come into the winter little bit on the heavy side um we can potentially look at just reducing the quantity slightly but you want a minimum really of um no less than 1.5 to 1.7 kilos per 100 kilos of body weight how does that work for you claire have you found that transition easy um obviously you've been uh, looking after your horse for such a long time and you've been in this field a long time so that transition for you is that just something that you just take second nature so yeah so i have had my horse for about 20 years now and I've had her on various different types of feeds over the years and seen all different types of reactions and she's been in different levels of work because obviously I've had her from being seven to like 27 so some really big changes go on during that time. Katie mentioned a balancer and actually since I've been on a balancer with her for Mm, quite a few years now I've seen some great results. At 27 you would probably expect a horse to start dropping weight and be a bit dippy in the back and and really changing shape but touch wood I'm actually really lucky and and I think the feed plays a massive part in that so I feed her the same feed all year round I feed a balancer and a little bit of chop she's on two meals a day and I never change it possibly in the summer months I reduce the chop a little bit but I stick to those two feeds and like I say same all year round every single day and that maintains her weight a nice top line um you know she's she's not chubby she's she's doing all right so yeah I I will stick with that I wouldn't change it because I just think feed is so important and I'm actually scared to change it because if I put something in there that doesn't suit her she goes crazy and then I I can't ride her properly so (laughs) I'm sticking with what I know works (laughs) yeah um what advice do you uh Lorraine to you now um I'm sure you have absolutely loads of owners come in and looking for this advice um is is this something that you deal with on a daily basis or do you have lots of people on hand to give this kind of advice absolutely I mean um North Wales, we obviously we have the lots of different types of horses, but there's an awful lot of native breeds which are notoriously prone to laminitis. Uh, so we have a lot of people coming in the store with concerns regarding um, prevention as well as treatment of that condition. So our staff members in store, we've got specialists in the equine departments who have received training on feed, so they're available to give advice. And if they don't have the information, if it's a very specific problem, they've always got the ability to be able to get in contact with the nutritionist from the various feed suppliers that we have for additional advice as well. So, you know, there is a good support network available there through um, Pet Place. Fabulous. Katie, what is the difference between hay and haylage and which one is better to use over winter? Um, so the main difference really, um, kind of from a, a observing them point of view, is that the haylage will be a lot wetter um, than hay. And this is due to the methods that it's been made. So hay um, will be left to dry after it's been cut in the field um, before being baled, whereas haylage is just just really left to wilt um, before it's baled and wrapped up in, in plastic uh, plastic wrapping. So 
the haylage does tend to smell a lot sweeter. And I think for that reason, a lot of people believe that haylage is much higher calorie, high sugar. Um, but actually, when we look at the analysis um, of hay compared to haylage, there's really not a great deal of difference um, on average. So you might get a very, very high calorie hay compared to a very low calorie haylage or low sugar haylage. So the, there's not sort of one rule fits fits all, um, to be honest. So I think when choosing between hay and haylage, the main thing that you should be looking at is your horse's individual requirements. So um, for example, horses with respiratory issues might benefit from a haylage because it is slightly wetter. They're usually slightly less dusty than hays. Um, equally, if you've got a horse that's quite fussy, they might prefer haylage. Or if you have a horse that's quite a, quite a good do, a little bit overweight, and you'd like to soak your hay, um, then we'd recommend hay. It's uh, Haylage goes a bit smelly when it's soaked, so uh, hay is usually better for that uh, that purpose. Uh, now, Lorraine, do you have any other advice for older horses that maybe tend to lose a little bit of weight over winter? For older horses that find it difficult to eat, there's all sorts of soak feeds as well. We're trying to get fibre into our horses. So any of the um, uh, this, like Speedy Beet, there's a number of different brands out there, Fibre Beet, where, which people think it's sugar beet and they think they're hearing sugar and they get worried about that, but it actually isn't. So it is high fibre, very low sugar, but you can soak that and it makes a nice, wet, moist feed that they can, again, get to the backs of their mouths. Very often they keep their back teeth. Um, they can get it to the backs of the mouths and it's easily digestible for them. And then incorporating balances into there so that you know that they're getting all the vitamins and minerals that they need. Um, so that way they're getting the fibre they need and they're getting the vitamins and minerals. I think Lorraine's pretty well covered it. Um, absolutely, using the soaked feeds. Um, we're basically looking, if the horse isn't able to eat the hay or the haylage or, or even the grass anymore, we're ultimately looking to replace all of that fibre that they would have been having. So the horse, as we said earlier, is it, you know has evolved to have that amount of fibre. So when we are using our forage replacement feeds, we want we need to find something that we can feed plenty of, or use a combination of different products um, in order to meet your horse's fibre requirements. And sort of splitting it between the day as well, little and often as much as you can, just to mimic their natural um, their natural eating pattern. So yeah, absolutely. Claire, you mentioned before about um, distractions keeping the horse entertained, obviously being stabled for longer over the winter months. If if the horse is naturally a, a more excitable horse, more active horse, have you any more top tips at all? Um, yes, I think during winter people try to ride a little bit more if they can because and they have the facilities. Depends where you keep your horse, but yeah, they'll try and do that. But then we have obviously face quite a lot of weather challenges as well along the way. So some people are fortunate to keep the horses on livery yards and have indoor arenas um which is is very privileged <laughs> um but some people don't have those facilities some don't even have a menage to school in so um we try to keep them a little bit more active try to probably get them out of the stable a little bit more just to reduce boredom perhaps increase grooming so that you know you're obviously giving them something to think about something to do and yeah you probably see them a little bit more often I would say in the winter months uh, depending on what your routine is because some people will turn them out um, at night so they're out for longer periods of time and, and in in the day during the summer whereas the whole winter routine will change so like I say there's there's lots of different boredom breakers that you can use in your stable as well to 
try your best to try to keep them amused, despite the fact that you don't, don't like going out in the bad weather. <laughs> well, I, I think there's a lot we can do to look after ourselves as well through the winter. Because we, you know, we obviously we talk about what we need to do for the stable, but then it's also, you know, planning ahead for ourselves and making sure that we've got the right footwear to keep our feet nice and warm and our hands nice and warm. And many of us, um, they're mucking out at dark in the night, so it's head torches and things so that because we talked about lighting before. And then we're often we're down to the yard, mucking our horses out and then off to work. So it's being able to keep ourselves clean and not smelling. So our work colleagues appreciate us when we arrive into work. So it, yeah, it, it's just thinking ahead really and trying to make life as easy as possible. And looking after our backs, ladies, that's another thing. Right piece of equipment for the right job, isn't it? Because uh, it, it does, it uh, puts a big toll on your backs during the winter. I can imagine. And, and as as we, we've, we've just touched then on your own safety as well. Safety is a huge thing. Obviously, in store at Pet Place, you can give absolutely loads of advice on what, what you should be wearing as a rider to keep yourself safe. And obviously, you know, you're mucking out at ridiculous dark hours of the morning and at night and for your horse as well. That's right. That's right. I mean, reflective wear, you know, people are bringing their horses in down dark lanes at night. So it's making sure you've got your reflective lead ropes, um, head collars. There's all sorts of things. Uh, lots of rugs nowadays got reflective strips on them. And then our own clothing, whether it's uh, a gilet that you put over the top um, or flashing lights, you know, armbands. There's all sorts of um, accessories nowadays to make ourselves visible and keep ourselves safe. So let me just touch back on, on weight for our horses. Uh, Katie, how can horse owners identify if their horses are actually overweight or underweight? Yeah, um, so there's a couple of different methods that you can use for this. And I think over the winter in particular, when a lot of horses will have their rugs on, perhaps if, if they're not able to be ridden as much, making sure you're taking your horse's rug off regularly. Um, I know it sounds really obvious, but sometimes it's easier said than done. Sometimes, you know, you go a few days without riding or a few weeks and, and the rug stays on. Um, so making sure you're taking, changing your horse's rug, rug regularly, taking a step back, actually looking at them. Have they lost weight? Have they gained weight? Um, taking photos regularly as well can be really helpful. Um, when you're seeing them every day, sometimes you don't necessarily notice those small changes. Um, one method as well that we do really recommend uh, that people try is something called body condition scoring, which is where you can slightly more objectively assess your horse's condition. Um, we've got a whole uh, page and, and lots of information about this on our Bailey's website. Um, but basically, we would give the horse a score between one and nine. So nine would be uh, an extremely overweight horse. One would be an emaciated horse. So we're aiming for a score of five in the middle um, and looking at the key areas of, of where they might. Uh, lose weight or gain weight so over the ribs for example we want to make sure we can feel the ribs with a gentle touch but not see them too obviously so there's lots of different areas that we we can evaluate and give the horse an overall score and by recording these scores we can more objectively assess whether our horse is, is actually overweight or underweight if they're losing or, or gaining and i guess lorraine in store your equine specialists can really help how we can promote winter weight loss for our horses that maybe have put a little bit on over the winter over the summer months maybe a bit of lockdown lard going on there I'm sure, yeah that's right I mean a lot of it is reassurance I think it's having someone to talk to about it someone to sound ideas off um, really helps um, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, there's the, obviously there's things like weigh tapes and things like that that you can also use. Obviously, um, the body conditioning scoring is, is is a main one to go for. But um, different. it's like horses are like people. You can put weight on in different places. So you can end up with horses with fat pads on necks, but you can still see their ribs a bit. So I think people find that confusing sometimes, but it's just an education process. And um having the opportunity to be able to talk through with another experienced member of staff um, about their horse, about the conditioning, getting them to think about, you know, the shape over the over the rump of the horse, you know, is the spine dipping there? Are there little fat pads over the rump? Whereas uh, maybe they are dipping at the withers because they're older, you know, it's, 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 it's very individual. So I think it's um, having that opportunity to to get another point of view on it and then some guidance on what sort of feeds to consider. I think at the moment it's a really hot topic. So I I keep my horse on a livery yard and quite often from a feeding point of view with hay and haylage, you are governed by what the actual livery yard buys in. So um, you don't always have that choice to get your own forage, obviously your own feed, but, you know, the hay and the haylage is, is quite often bought um, in bulk on mass and everybody has the same so suddenly um, because there's been quite a lot of laminitic outbreaks um, this year everybody's feeding requirements changes so the whole yard has to change so we usually feed haylage but with all the laminitis around we've all gone on to hay now so sometimes that can present different things like my horse suffers with dust allergies so haylage is fine she keeps her weight fine I keep my eye on that but obviously going on to hay then she can get a little bit itchy because the hay's got a higher dust content in it so you might have to start soaking so a little impact of what some happens with somebody else's horse on a yard can then suddenly impact on everybody else in totally different ways um so that's something that at the minute on on my yard where I keep my horse, we're all watching weight because of the, the laminitis situation. We watch it anyway, but I would say we're all a lot keener at the moment. There's a lot of weighing going on. And yeah, just, just keeping a check on, on things that are generally happening, making some significant changes for some people as well that they've never had to make before. Fabulous. So generally now, uh, where can horse owners get more information or find out about which feeds might best suit their horse? Lorraine, I know you probably have got an answer for this one. There are a number of different websites. Obviously, all the feed suppliers, all the branded feed suppliers, there's information on those websites. But um, stores like ourselves at Farmer Pet Place, we've got knowledgeable equine staffing who are also able to guide you through the feed range that we have in store. So if you come in with a particular concern or problem um, or just want some general advice, they'll be able to advise you on the feeds that we have there. And if you're in a moment of crisis, is there anything you can do to bring yourself back and regain that sense of calm? Yeah, I think just to support what Lorraine said, I think if people go into a mass panic about what do they feed the horses, what's the best thing to do if they're changing the work of the horse etc and they need to change nutrition and they really don't know I would ultimately say that the nutrition helplines that all the feed companies offer are a great support and help and I think quite a few of them do offer um, yard visits as well so you know we've 
obviously at, at my yard in particular, we've had the weighbridge out there, all the horses are weighed and, you know, everybody gets the advice and gets told what to feed in line with the work that they do. So I think that is a really good go-to if, you, if you're concerned. I think Claire's covered it there. As I say, the um, in-store staff, they're able to put you in the direction if anybody needs uh, contacts, if they want to speak directly with the feed companies to uh, speak to the nutritional experts. Claire and Lorraine have pretty, pretty well covered it. But yeah, I'm, you know, at Bailey's and all the other, the other sort of big feed companies, we do offer that the service of going out to yards, doing yard visits with the Weybridge. Um, we also have a, um, a contact form on our website that people can fill in all the information about their horse and they'll get a detailed feeding plan that's sent back to them that's individual specific for their horse and that is totally free of charge so even if you've got a question you think oh, it might be a silly question it's honestly no we don't get any silly questions you know you can uh you can call and ask anything you want or pop us an email that's absolutely fine to do that and uh, as i said not just baileys but the other feed companies will do that as well wonderful thank you so much katie claire and lorraine it's been a pleasure to chat to you on this podcast and here's to um happy horse over the winter season thank you don't forget you can get more information and advice from the official website farmandpetplace.co.uk that's it for another episode see you next time when we'll be looking at how to identify pet anxiety and we'll get expert advice on how to keep our pets calm 